WJFF Jeffersonville, W233AH Monticello. This is Radio Catskill. Public radio for the Catskills and Northeast Pennsylvania. Listen local. edition live from radio catskill studios in liberty new york we're keeping you connected i'm your host jason dolt and tonight we'll be checking in with commissioner for health and human services of sullivan county john little will be joining us live getting an update on how it's becoming even easier for county residents to access the services they may need First up, it's our regular check-in with New York Focus, the independent newsroom doing in-depth reporting on how the state really works. And New York Focus has a series of articles focusing on New York's broken jail accountability system. New York Focus saying if you're in jail and you're getting harassed, abused, denied health care, there's usually just one thing you can do about it. You can file a grievance, but the reporters from New York Focus who've been looking into it also say that those grievances rarely accomplish anything and the public almost never gets a look into that broken aspect of the carceral system. Here to tell us more, joining us on the phone. Here to tell us more, joining us on the phone is Eliza Fawcett. Eliza, welcome to the show. Thanks so much. And Chris Gillardi. Chris, welcome back. Hey, thanks for having me. So thank you both uh, for joining us here from uh, New York Focus. And Eliza, I'll point out that the the latest article in these series of articles is uh, called This Agency is Supposed to Monitor Jails. Is anyone monitoring it? Uh, It's your article, and it just went up this very afternoon, just went live. So um, I guess we could start off by saying, is is this a a series? How many articles have been in the series, and how did it get started? Well, we've done four articles so far. Um, one was looking specifically at issues in Onondaga County. Uh, we had one on solitary confinement, one on grievances, and this is more of an overall piece looking at the um, commission, the State Commission of Correction, which is the state agency that's responsible for overseeing um, regulations and conditions in jails and prisons across the state. Um, but it was really Chris who conceived of this project and did a lot of um uh, records requests to obtain hun- more than 200 documents for the series. So maybe I'll let him talk a little bit about how that all came together. Yeah, it goes back quite a while. Um, it's, it's, it's like a common refrain among people who pay attention to sort of like carceral issues that um, jails and, and sheriff's departments that, that oversee them are, they're known as like quote unquote little fiefdoms. Um, meaning that you know, jail, or, um, sheriffs, which operate county jails, um, operate with very little oversight, be it from the state level or from the federal level. Um, we know that this agency, the State Commission of Correction that Eliza just reported on this afternoon, um, is, is sort of like the one um, entity statewide that provides some oversight. So we started digging and, and tried to find as, as many um, up their inspection documents as we could, and and that's how we came across these um, these 200 reports that that outlined the issues that we outlined in the series. 
And when do those 200 reports date from? What what uh, period do they cover? So we found we, we requested reports from all over the state um, from about 2018 to 2023. And what they are is they're um, pretty much the inspection records that when state commission of correction um, inspectors go into county jails, they, they sort of like do this like sort of checklist um, where they go issue by issue, like state regulation by state regulation and inspect um, what the jails are um, following and, and what they're and whether they're like violating those state regulations. Um, and as we found throughout this series and as, as Eliza mostly found throughout this series, um, there seems to be a lot of recurring issues. They, they'll go into a jail, they'll document a violation, they'll go in the next year, they'll document the same violation and really um, fail to hold the, the jails accountable. And Eliza might be able to give more details on that. Yeah, well, Eliza, we're talking about the State Commission of Correction, the SCOC. Uh, I mean, as you tell us more about what you found as you dug into this, can you start off by explaining, like, if, if they're doing oversight, who are they reporting to? Yeah, so, so they're a state agency who, um, you know, would be compiling documents uh, and, and reports, um, you know, for for the governor in some cases. Um, but at times they, they have published um, public reports, like in 2018, they had um, a public report that um, detailed the five uh, worst states or five worst jails in the state. Um, Rikers Island was the large majority of that report. Um, but, you know, largely the public doesn't see that much of what they do. And that was a big part of this investigation. Um, to give a little background on the commission, it's run by uh, three commissioners uh, and they have a very small staff, about 36 people, who are largely inspectors who travel to jails across the state to do the uh, inspections that Chris mentioned. Um, but they have a huge task. There are a lot of jails um, across New York State. Um, and the commission is also, uh, by state law, supposed to be looking into state prisons as well, but they really stopped doing that in the 1990s when they had some staffing reductions. Um so, you know, they have a really big task. They don't have a lot of money to do it. They have a, you know, budget of maybe a couple million dollars each year. Um, you know, and, and the issue is that a lot of terrible things often happen in jails. Um, you know, we found some really uh, disturbing um, conditions in Onondaga County jails, um, certainly in, in Erie County jails, which have seen very high death tolls for years. Um, and so, you know, the, the question really remains like why isn't this commission doing the job that um you know the the legislature has has given it a lot of power to do in your reporting and trying to follow up on this have you talked to any legislators yeah so there's a group of legislators who have proposed um new bills for this upcoming session and and they're hoping to reform the commission um primarily by increasing the number of commissioners um, from three to nine. And, you know, there's been a, a trend where the commissioners tend to be former sheriffs or former um, jail administrators. So they're coming from the same spaces that the commission is supposed to regulate, um, which, you know, can be an issue and, and create certain conflicts of interest. Um, but this proposed legislation uh, would also require that this larger group of commissioners have a more diverse array of backgrounds, you know, public health uh, folks, 
prisoners' rights lawyers, um, even people who've personally experienced incarceration. Um, so that is kind of the, the primary focus for the upcoming um, legislative session, although there are a number of other bills that would also try to, you know, increase accountability in correctional facilities, including um, by adding uh, access to local jails um, for county legislators who right now aren't able to just drop by any jail and, and get a tour. And what's your sense of the the political reality of this? That this leg, you know proposed legislation will be entering. Will there be support from other legislators, or is this kind of a niche issue? I think we'll have to see. I mean, I think there there is growing uh, just awareness of this commission, and you know, especially when we think about um, correctional issues in New York. I mean, Rikers Island is such a huge focus right now, and, and it's so clear that things are going wrong there. And I think there's a lot of um, you know, desire to to change the situation. And I think some of these um, lawmakers see uh, targeting the commission as like one small but important way to do that. Um, so, you know, I think for, for many years, even decades, no one has really known about this commission, even though it has so much power. Um, but I think that's starting to change. And so we may well see, um, you know, quite a lot more support for, for an effort like this. Okay, can you uh, and you know I, I mentioned the name of the current article that just went up today. Is, is this agency is supposed to monitor jails? Is anyone monitoring it? Uh, and then the the, the um, recent article from December fourth um, that you both uh, uh, are on the byline for the subheading of this one is the state council that reviews grievances spent an average of eight seconds on each case in its last meeting and rejected nearly all of those grievances. What, what are, can you give us an example of some grievances that are just getting ignored? Yeah, I, I would, uh, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Um, so that, that article kind of comes out of this idea that, um, you know, people, incarcerated people often um, lack a mechanism to address abuse or medical neglect or any any sort of um, bad conditions that they find themselves in. And, and one of the main ways that they can do that is by filing a formal grievance um, within the jail. We found, uh, our, and just through experience, both through like experience talking to incarcerated people and um, looking through these documents, we find that um, lack of medical care is is a huge issue that um, a lot of people complain about. Um, but it can be even little things like um, having visitation taken away, um, having recreation taken away improperly, um, being being punished improperly, um, all sorts of things. So uh, yeah, incarcerated people can file these grievances, but often they, they really go nowhere. And if they go nowhere and they think that that is done unjustly, they can actually appeal those grievances to the State Commission of Correction. And SCOC is actually required to, to look into them and um, to issue a determination on its own. Um, and as well as I was saying, you know, the, the, the commission often just kind of like it goes through the motions with these kind of tasks. So as we found the, the council that reviews grievances that get appealed to it, um, it, it, just, it gets a lot of grievances and it spends very little time, like you said, an average of eight seconds on each case in its last meeting. And it rejects nearly all of them. It, it sides with the jail on nearly all of the grievances. And how often does it meet? That council meets, meets monthly, if I'm correct. Eliza, is that right? Yeah, it meets monthly. And, you know, 
during its monthly meeting, um, for instance, in the most recent meeting in November, um, they decided 304 grievance cases in 40 minutes. I mean, <laughs> it's a very quick case and, and each quick pace in each of those cases, um, you know, reflects someone's uh, conditions of incarceration that they feel are 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 unjust. So, um, you know, you think that they're, they might spend a little more time than eight seconds per case. And, and, you know, as Chris was just saying, very, very seldom uh, does this commission side with the incarcerated person filing the grievance. Um, can you think of any of examples where that happened? Because I'm wondering, like, well, how, how bad does a grievance have to be uh, for them actually to to not side with the institution? Yeah, I think it's I think it's very, very rare that that happens. And and really, the, the you know, the the. Um, the public tends to hear about grievances when they, you know, become the basis for a lawsuit over neglect or abuse, and often those are grievances that were filed and, and went nowhere. So, yeah, I'd love to dig in more to, to understand, you know, those handful of um, appealed grievances that are accepted, you know, what the conditions there were. But, again, it's very, very rare. And I think that speaks to, to the opacity of the commission in general. We actually don't know the details behind the grievances themselves. The, the numbers that we reported on are just kind of from reports, and they don't say what the grievances were actually for. And it took us months just to get the results of the commission's like routine inspections of county jails. Um, so that, that's another huge part of the problem. There's just, just opacity. Like, no, nobody's heard of this commission. And um, even if they have, nobody really knows what it's doing behind the scenes. I guess that, that leads into the next question I want to ask, which I think takes us a little bit out of the realm of, you know, nuts and bolts research and more into the realm of what are you encountering as reporters? What are you seeing as people? Because what strikes me about all this is it, it almost seems like it, you've identified that there's this commission that that's kind of dropping the ball here. And this, this is a point of failure in a technical sense, but bigger picture, it also seems, as you say, there's very little public awareness, uh, and there doesn't seem to be a lot of, uh, of, you know, I'd say political interest in this either. Like what, what is your take on just how this whole system is regarded and how does that play into uh, what this commission is or is not doing? Yeah, I think what's actually really interesting about that is that the commission has a lot of power, way more power than most jail oversight um, agencies across the U.S. I mean, it's a very weak field overall, um, but this commission has been vested by the, you know, the state legislature, um, you know, with the power to visit any correctional facility at any time, look at any document, talk to any employee. They can issue subpoenas. They can go to the state Supreme Court for, for orders to force compliance. Um, you know, and there have been moments um, across its history when it's it's been reformed. Um, for instance, in the years after the Attica prison uprising, the commission was um, uh, reformed to become, you know, a full-time independent state agency. So there have been moments when, um, you know, New York politicians have really taken a stand and, and wanted to uh, vest this agency with, with the power to take its job seriously. And it just seems that again and again, the commission has not stepped up to that task. And I think it's really easy to get kind of cynical about this issue, you know, like um, incarceration, people in prisons and jails are out of sight and out of mind. And 
Um, it's very rarely a, um, I think, political priority just for the average voter. Um, and, and we can say that, but again, like in, in 2019, we saw a raft of reforms that, um, a, a raft of, of like jail and prison reforms that passed the legislature and were signed by the governor. In 2021, we saw a complete overhaul of the state's um, solitary confinement uh, laws, and that passed the legislature and passed the governor. Um, there are huge movements behind these things. We, we see a lot of interesting criminal justice issues, especially since 2020. Um, so, yeah, there is, I think, opportunity for, for some political interest in, in these issues. Yeah, and 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 Eliza, you're speaking about like the broad powers they have. Like it, it was interesting that you know, like you brought up Attica because as you were describing the powers they have, I'm thinking there's no way that this commission would have that kind of power if there wasn't uh, a reason at some point that people said, oh, you know what, something needs to be done about this. Here's an agency that can do something here. Well, you knew, you know what, you need to do more. Here's some some powers here. So that that kind of makes this uh, it compi- kind of compounds the sadness of this. Uh, that that you know they've they've got this ability to do something uh, because something needs to be done. Absolutely, and and when I was doing this research, I came across a sort of interesting historical note here, where in um, 1975, um, Governor Hugh Carey, who was really focused on restructuring the commission, nominated um, Herman Schwartz, who. Um, was a, a law professor who had actually served as a negotiator during um, the Attica prison riot as the first, you know, full-time chairman. Um, and I've talked to a number of experts who who believe that, you know, Schwartz would have really, um, uh, you know, made the commission really, really strong. And um, Schwartz even described the commission as an ombudsman with teeth. So mm-hmm. he was very, um, you know, reform-minded way. But um, this uh, majority Republican Senate committee at the time rejected his nomination. And, um, you know, since then, the commission has never really been what he'd envisioned, you know, an ombudsman's teeth. And I think now there's a uh, desire to to really bring that back. Absolutely. Um, You know, and, and Chris, I know we've talked to you in the past about these issues, I know you're keeping an eye on the carceral system. Uh, for both of you doing this reporting, I'm I'm curious now that now that you've done a number of these articles, uh, are you hearing from the families of those who are incarcerated? Are you getting a reaction from the public, and specifically from the public that's connected to this story? Definitely, uh, it's 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 a little disheartening to be honest. I get um, it's it's heartening and disheartening. Um, I get emails all the time from. Families of incarcerated people, especially people in prisons, but prisons and jails, who um, who allege uh, abuse of their loved ones, who say, um, yeah, who, who say that they've tried to talk to the governor's office, to the prison system, to the sheriff of their county, to to everybody to try to like get some action on, on something that happened to their loved one, um, and yeah, it, it very rarely goes anywhere. Um, a silver line there is, is I think those those are the type of people to to organize and to to get the word out and um, to to make a fuss about I think a lack of oversight in these institutions. Eliza, is there anything else uh, that you've dug up in your reporting that we didn't touch on that you want to let folks know? I think the 
only other thing was that I managed to talk with um, a number of um, people who had worked for the commission, you know, decades ago. And and one who really um, stays with me is this uh, woman named Jean Fennell, who was actually a commissioner back in the 80s. Um, you know, and she arrived to this commission, uh, a young lawyer from New York who um, was ready to join this hard-hitting agency and, and soon grew disillusioned with its work. She she felt like it didn't have the impact she she was expecting. Um, a lot of personal politics kind of shrouded its work. Um, and I talked to her uh, a couple weeks ago. She's in her 70s now, and she's, you know, been, been watching the commission um, and its work unfold for the last couple of decades, basically wondering what it's been doing and why it hasn't been, um, you know, working harder to hold um, jails and, and prisons to account. Um, so that was a really interesting part of this reporting to get a sense of the long um, history of this commission and, you know, what it might have been. And uh, we we lost the audio on that name there. You say it was that Gene Thelman? Gene Thelwell, yeah. Thelwell. And uh, I was I'm just looking for a quote that I saw earlier, but it's something along the lines of like, I you know, about why it isn't working the way that, that it should. But I can't find the quote right now. So I guess I'll move on. Um, well, I want to thank you both for doing this work and for taking the time to talk to us tonight. Thank you so much. Thanks so much. Thank you for having us. OK. And again, uh this article is up at WJFFradio.org, and uh, the whole series is up at New York Focus, nysfocus.com. We've been talking to Eliza Fawcett and Chris Gillardi, and we check in with New York Focus regularly right here on the local edition. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to be talking to John Little, Commissioner of Sullivan County Health and Human Services. Do stay with us. skill comes from Van Gorder's Furniture, featuring Lodge and Adirondack styles as well as rustic collections, with showrooms at Lake Wall and Poppock, downtown Honesdale, and Milford, PA. Van Gorder's Furniture brings the outdoors inside. VanGorders.com. From Dog Mountain Lodge, providing dog boarding and grooming, also boarding cats, birds, and other exotic pets. Located in Keshekta, New York, and on the web at DogMountainLodge.com. And from listeners like you. Hi there, I'm Chris Orbach. I'm an actor, writer, musician, and voiceover artist, and I've been proud to call the Western Catskills my home for over 12 years. I volunteer at Radio Catskill by doing voiceover work. <laughs> it's the least I can do for my favorite station. So from all of us here at Radio Catskill, thank you for listening. Have a safe and festive holiday season, and a happy new year. Welcome back to the local edition. News and information keeping you connected in the Catskills, Northeast Pennsylvania. On Monday, we check in with Sullivan County. And right now, the Sullivan County Department of Social Services is introducing uh, some new ways of doing things, all in the name of increased accessibility, trying to connect the community with the services that are available to them. Folks who need help with any number of life challenges can now uh, seek and find that help from Health and Human Services, as well as from an expanding range of community partner agencies. And they could do it via a new form on the county website. 
Joining us on the phone right now to tell us more, it's John Little, Commissioner of Health and Human Services for Sullivan County. John, thank you so much yeah. for joining us. Hi, Jason. Good to be with you. Thanks. So uh, this is this is County Launch's one-stop assistance tool. Can you tell us uh, about this online form and what is Unite Us? Yeah, sure. It's a it's a form that we have posted on uh, the county's website on the social services page, which is uh, SullivanNY.us slash department slash family services, or you can just search for social services. When you get to our page, you'll see uh, um, in the middle of the page right there is uh, how can we help you find services or how can we help you get services? And there's a form right there. And basically what folks do is they put in, you know, some basic information about themselves and that um, with a, with a release gives us the ability to um, take their information and folks at social services will take a look at what um, challenges someone's experiencing. And then it gives us the ability to either solve the problem ourselves in social services for that client or refer the case out to um, any one of 23 different agencies around Sullivan County. And uh, we already have, uh, I'm looking at it right now, we have 148 cases open for 75 different uh, unique clients. And that's um, working out on uh, issues like housing and shelter, mental behavioral health, food assistance, uh, clothing and household goods. And um, we're, uh, we're really excited about how it's developing. And I just did this, uh, even, even just as you started talking, I got there pretty quick. I went to SullivanNY.us and, uh, looked for, uh, uh, social services and I'm seeing the form right here. How can we help you get services? How long have you had this? How, how long has it been going on? So we, um, the, the capability of referring these tools or referring folks to the different providers around the county, it's something that we've been working on for, um, a fair amount of time now. We we entered into contract with Unite Us back in um, back in May June that time frame, and um, since we've done that, we've been working to get the different agencies around the county connected. So all your Catholic charities, independent living, uh, action toward independence, um, and then various different county agencies, Office for the Aging, uh, Public Health. Um, all these different agencies are joining in. We're also hoping to bring Garnet. Uh, online pretty soon. Um, but we just launched the uh, form on the county website recently so folks can put their own requests in. Um, so previously you had to contact a member of any of these organizations to get yourself started. Now you can do it right there yourself on the uh, on the county website. Um, and like I said, once you put that request in there, um, our folks will take a look at it and we can either solve the problem ourselves or refer it out to one of our partner agencies. Yeah, and I want to ask you about that partner agencies because it sounds like this this interface is is allowing you to increase the efficiency with which you can get uh, people services for what you've got uh, under your auspices in, in uh, health and family services. But you're you're adding more organizations. How how are you partnering with organizations and and uh, being able to kind of expand your hub like this? Well, it's it's really um, <clears throat> it's it's really a lot of um, legwork individually talking from organization to organization. The good news is really since the, the pandemic, um, we've really banded together to support our community. And so, you know, relationships that we built over a lot of Zoom calls over the course of 2020 and 2021, you know, we, we've kept those relationships going 
And um, so now, you know, we feel pretty comfortable connecting to each other electronically. And uh, this seemed like kind of the next logical step for building out the uh, the network of partners uh, that we call United Sullivan um, to to bring together or come together and provide all these services. Because one thing that I've learned since I became commissioner a few years ago is that um, for as much as people say in Sullivan County, you know, that we don't have services around here, there are certainly, you know, we, we certainly don't have the services that New York City has. Um, but we have a lot more than people know. And really what the challenge is, is helping people get connected to those services because we're a rural area. Transportation can be a challenge for some folks. So this is a way to help bridge that gap by only making somebody come to one member of the network to get help connecting to all the other members in the network. Yeah, and uh, you've given us a, a reason to be thankful for all the Zoom meetings that, that you had to have during the pandemic. That paid off. Uh, John, I'm sorry that, that we got a late start here, so we're going to have to go in just about 40 seconds. In that time, is there anything else that you want folks to know that you can tell them? Uh, you know, there's just so much going on right now. It's uh, definitely um, it's definitely been a very busy year for us in social services, especially with regard to um, – with regard to helping folks through housing situations. And so we'd love to talk to you about that another time. But the most important thing for people to remember right now is that we do have two warming centers open, um, one in Monticello, one in Liberty. And uh, those are open from 8 p.m. to 8 a.m. They're not full-time shelters, but they're there to get people uh, out of the cold at night. And certainly we provide additional services to folks that go to those shelters. We can help you. We can get you connected to Unitas, and we can help you get other things set up. So that's definitely out there for us. That's and I uh, encourage folks to use it. Well, thanks for that reminder. And we definitely do want to talk more about housing because that's an issue that we've been covering right along here on Radio Catskill. John Little, thank you so much for joining us. Yep. Thanks, Jason. It's John Little, Commissioner of Health and Human Services. And once again, uh, Sullivan County's website is sullivanny.us. That's it for the local edition. The Daily starts right now.